Uh, hey now, this is the Word Made Fresh podcast with your hosts. I'm Matthew Tracy. And I'm Wendley Setiel. Once again, thanks for joining us. We are downright delighted to have you. Thanks for being with us, guys. Welcome one, welcome all. A hearty welcome to everyone. Uh, we're continuing our series on the fall and the restoration of men. And last week, we studied where sin originated. And we want to continue with that study. What will be our topic for today? Today, we're going to be looking at why sin was permitted. Yes, and I think it's a very powerful question and we want to understand it, especially as we, we live in a world where sin still continues. We want to understand why is it that we still have evil in the world today. Absolutely. But before we do that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is a very hard question for many of us, but we know that your word has a reasonable answer. And I just pray, dear God, that as we seek to know it, that you would really settle it in our hearts to be content with the answer that you've given us and to be at peace with you. You are the restorer of all things. And we know that anything in our life can be fixed and be made new. So please give us faith to endure until the end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, this study is actually connected with the previous study that we have done. So we want to review a little bit uh, to capture and to connect the two studies. So last week, we learned about a powerful angel, a covering cherub called Satan. And according to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 28, verse 14, and all the way to verse 14, we learned that this powerful angel was actually created perfect. This is what it says. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. Thou hast been an Eden the garden of God. Thou sealest up the psalm, full of wisdom and perfect and beauty. How did we manage to understand from this text that he was referring to Satan? So the first point is that this particular being is a covering cherub. Mm-hmm. The second point is that this particular cherub or angel, he was in Eden. And as far as we know, there are only four people ever recorded as being inside the garden. Mm-hmm. Those are God, Adam, Eve, and the devil. Yes. And to expound on this topic, we actually went to the Old Testament and studied of a piece of furniture there that gives us an insight in what was Satan's role before his fall. So the structure that we ended up looking at was the sanctuary. It was an Old Testament tabernacle. Uh, It was a tent-like structure, and it was divided into three sections. You had the outer court, and then the tabernacle proper, which was the main tent, and the tent was divided into two. The first part of the tent was the holy place, and then the second part was the most most holy place. And in the most holy place, there was found this piece of furniture. It's called the Ark of the Covenant, and we understand that this Ark of the Covenant was a representation of God's throne. That's right. What did we find around this this Ark? So, on either side of this Ark mm-hmm. were two covering cherubs. And this had to have been the devil because neither Adam, Eve, or God are covering cherubs. Mm-hmm. And so we find that Satan's original position when he was made was actually right next to the throne of God. As close to God's presence as a created being can get. Yes, and this powerful being, being referred to in the book of Ezekiel, 
uh, Satan was one of those two covering tribes. What does it mean to cover? What does the Bible, how does the Bible explain this term? So you probably remember that um, the word for covering literally means to defend and to protect. So it carries a dual mm-hmm. meaning to it or a dual purpose. If you have a screen on the front door of your house mm-hmm. during the summertime, you're on the inside and the bugs are on the outside. And the purpose of the screen is to protect you on the inside and to defend against the mosquitoes on the outside. So, Lucifer, or Satan's position in the beginning, was to defend and protect the throne of God or the seat of God. And by extension, all that the government of God represents, his law, his character, his goodness, his mercy, the harmony of heaven, the peace, the love, the goodness, everything. Yeah. And as we continued our study last week, we found that in Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 15, and this is what it said, speaking about Satan, Thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that was created until iniquity was found in thee. What happened? So what we can figure out is that, first and foremost, he was not made evil. Mm-hmm. The devil was not made a devil. Mm-hmm. He was actually perfect, and that word for perfect literally means to be without blemish or without spot, without defilement, to be morally upright, perfect. But then it says until iniquity was found in him. And that word for iniquity is literally unrighteousness. Mm. And according to 1 John 5, 17, all unrighteousness is sin. Mm-hmm. And according to 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, sin is the transgression of the law. So the very law and the government that he was supposed to be defending and mm. protecting, at some point, he turned against it and began to work against God mm-hmm. and his throne. Yes, and also there's this principle in the Bible from the books of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 18. Speaking about the righteous, they say, The path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more unto perfect day. And from this we can deduce that Satan's fall, uh, is, 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 uh, his downfall did not happen overnight. You know, mm-hmm. you cherish it over and over. Until finally, iniquity was found in him. Right, like the setting sun. Mm -hmm. In Ezekiel chapter 27, verse 17, he gives us an indication of what happened uh, and how did Satan fall. He says, Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. So we see that his own perfection and looking into self and so forth, Cause mm-hmm. him to be prideful. That's it, yeah. And then in Isaiah, we actually find a parallel verse to these verses in Ezekiel 28. But this time it gives him a different name. And it says there, How art thou fallen from heaven? And you'll remember from the last week, Lucifer, or Satan, was actually cast out of heaven. So he says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O mm-hmm. Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. And so what we see is that his wisdom mm-hmm. and his power were eventually corrupted because of his own beauty. As you said, his own selfishness, mm-hmm. his own pride. 
And he took that great power and that great wisdom that he had and he began to use it and utilize it to fight against God, albeit very quietly and subtly at first. Yeah, so his ultimate goal is basically, hey, I'm powerful enough, I'm, I'm wise enough, I want to establish a kingdom, I want, I want to establish a rule, I want to establish a government on my own. I don't need God, right? That's it. What can we learn from this experience? So first off, um, a key takeaway would be that sin actually originated with Satan in his heart. It didn't originate with God, and God did not put it there. Satan did not have to sin or to cherish the feelings that he was having. Mm-hmm. That's first and foremost. Isaiah 55 verse 17 puts it this way. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Yeah, and we see that ultimately the natures of sin at the base of sin is selfishness, right? We see that Satan was willing to establish his kingdom at whatever they expense. Exactly. Right? Yeah. He basically said, I will win at the expense of others' losses. Get in my way and I will remove you somehow. Yeah. If the feeling did not come from God, mm. where did the feelings of Satan jealousy originate? Yeah, it seems like um, they probably would have had to, um, to have been put there. Yeah, they have to come up somehow. Because if you're in heaven and this is a place of perfect peace and harmony, how in the world, how in the heaven did this mm-hmm. manage to happen? Yeah. yeah. Um, well, what we can figure out based on the text is that, again, God didn't put them there, but they arose in Satan's heart. So some, by some way of continually pondering about these things and thinking and wondering, he eventually began to cherish these feelings Mm -hmm. against God. And um, we don't know how that happened. And that's why the Bible really calls it a mystery. Yeah, the mystery of iniquity. The mystery of iniquity. In 2 Thessalonians, it basically defines the mystery of iniquity in principle as this. When a created being aspires to be God or to take God's place or to be equal with God. Which sounds totally crazy. Yeah. And this is what we see that Satan wanted to be. I wanted to be like the Most High. And I think, you know, if we were to summarize this, basically, there is no excuse for Satan's sin. Right? There is no reason that we can give for Satan's sin. Like, we cannot play the devil's advocate, even right. if we wanted to. There's no such thing. Yeah, we cannot do it. There is no logical reason that we can provide right. to account for Satan's sin. There is one thing that caught my attention. Uh, we see that Satan say, hey, I wanted to be like the Most High. Mm -hmm. Isn't that a good thing to want to be like God? That is a good thing. Um, We know God is holy. Mm -hmm. God is love. God is just. He's good. He's merciful. Yeah, and that's just what Satan wanted. And that sounds great. Mm -hmm. The only problem is his method of of getting there. Mm -hmm. Did he mean I want to be loving like God, just like God, holy like God? Maybe. Okay, could have. <laughs> but we actually know that that's not exactly what he meant. Mm-hmm. Because he was created perfect, right? The very thing that he was intended to defend and protect was all of this. Yes. He was supposed to uphold God's holiness, his goodness, his righteousness, his mercy, his justice, everything about the peace and harmony of heaven. Mm. It was already a good place. Mm-hmm. And so with that also comes the foundation of order. 
which is his law. To maintain the order and harmony of heaven means there needs to be a standard of obedience. And so he turns against that standard. Sin is the transgression of the law. So the very thing that he was first created to defend and uplift, uphold and protect, mm -hmm. he ended up turning against. And it cannot be that if you turn against the very thing that, that ensures holiness and righteousness and, and goodness and justice, that you mm -hmm. can put that aside and be like God. Yeah. So ultimately, you want him to be God, but in a different way. He wanted his position without his character. Oh, okay. That's a good way to put it. Did he find a way to actually convince other people to follow him? So we do get an idea. Um, the Bible gives us some insight into that, mm -hmm. that topic. Um, first, it says in Revelation that the devil did manage to deceive some of the angels. Mm -hmm. So we know he did do that. And the question is, how in the world did he, how in the heaven did he do that? Mm -hmm. And um, when we look at his mindset, we can see that he was basically saying, I can be like God mm -hmm. without him or him telling me how to do it because I'm already perfect. Remember, I am yeah. upright. I am morally perfect. So I don't need some standard. I can figure out for myself because I am righteous. Mm -hmm. So his own devisings were convincing him that whatever he came up with because he was already good and holy. Pretty wise. And wise. Still up the sum. That whatever he came up with would somehow still be okay. Mm -hmm. And so you can, even though the Bible doesn't give us tons of like direct insight into this, you can begin to glean what exactly was going on in his mindset. If you're already in a position to chart your own course and God basically has said, this is the way, walk in it. You can begin to think, well, maybe God knows something that I don't know. Mm -hmm. Maybe. So you can see how everything is thrown yeah. into obscurity. You become very suspicious of God. Maybe much. God doesn't really want me to be where I am. Maybe he's keeping me from something. Maybe if I branch out, I can go beyond what he what he has yeah. and so it's this deluded thinking that began to destroy him and so what he does is he ends up taking the same these same concepts and he brings them to the other angels and we know that based on ezekiel 28 verses 16 and 18 and it says there by the multitude of thy merchandise mm -hmm. they have filled the midst of thee with violence and thou hast sinned thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities by the iniquity of thy traffic. Mm -hmm. So pretty much he was telling lies about God. That word for traffic literally is like peddled goods. Mm -hmm. So he was mm -hmm. bargaining. This is like if you were back in the 1800s and you know you went to your neighbor's house, I'll give you five bags of flour for four bags of wheat or whatever, mm -hmm. for four pounds of steak. I don't know. But the idea is he was trying to bargain with the other angels to kind of accept his product. So he was selling goods. These were lies. How do we know they were lies? Well, in Revelation chapter 12, it says, under the figure of a dragon, Satan is under the symbol as a dragon. It says that his tail actually drew a third part of the stars, which we know are the angels, based upon Revelation 12, verse 7. Mm -hmm. And so... This drawing with his tail has significance. In Isaiah 9, verse 15, it says that the prophet that teaches lies, he is the tail. Mm -hmm. 
and continuing if we look at the same analogy Hosea chapter 12 it tells us that Ephraim daily increased lies in desolation he is a merchant the balances of deceit are in his hand right and this is basically the same thing that Satan was doing. And it's funny because uh, Satan was basically the first politician and he also became the first salesman. Yep. And it's funny that both of those have a bad rap today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> what were some of the lies that Satan spread to the angels? So first we, we can begin to understand it's the same stuff that he's already questioning. This is a new element that is introduced in his mind and now he's just spreading it to the other angels and it must be in a way where he's like very casual nonchalant about it you they probably didn't suspect anything so casual hey you know i have these ideas you know but it actually goes a little bit deeper um when we look at second peter chapter two this is pretty interesting second peter chapter two verses four all the way through verse 19 lay out a template for us to understand what happened in heaven And basically what happens is in verse 4, it starts off by highlighting the devil and his angels, Satan and the ones that followed him in Mm -hmm. in rebellion. And it uses them as a template to show and to illustrate the same spirit and the same course of action that is found in all of the people um, on this earth, all the children of disobedience. Mm -hmm. And so by the time you get down to verse 10, In verse 19, these are some of the big takeaways to understand what was going on with the devil and him trying to persuade the other angels. And here's what it says. Presumptuous are they, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Mm -hmm. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome the same is brought into bondage Mm -hmm. and so what we can see is that satan himself was presumptuous in heaven he was self-willed he was not afraid to speak out against god even if it was ever so slightly he was speaking evil of dignities the dignity of heaven and he promised the angels liberty if you follow me know we might be able to do something for ourselves you know we might have this big enterprise and go start up a company and make gain and a new kingdom yeah and ironically you know the bible promised that the truth will set us free and satan what he does instead is tells lies right he tells hey i'm gonna give you liberty you're not free you're in bondage and he makes the angels of heaven seems like as if god was trying to restrict them god was suppressing something from them and this is the same tactic that he used you know when he tried to accuse God and also the same tactic that he used when he tried to basically tempt Eve you know, mm. to, to, uh, to go away from God's law. Right. Uh, it's a good way to illustrate this. Um, in America, we have a constitution, the United States Constitution. Now, the purpose of the constitution is to guarantee certain freedoms, certain liberties. Mm-hmm. Right. If um, if I came from another country and I, I came to America and I got citizenship and I said, you know what? I'm in America. Boom. Land of the free. I'm free. And I thought that that meant I could do what I want. And tomorrow night, I'm going to go break into my neighbor's house and steal his whatever. Mm-hmm. I clearly mm-hmm. don't understand freedom. <laughs> <laughs> right? Because yeah, yeah. okay, the, yeah. the law of the land is there 
to to protect those who want of the land, right? The integrity of the land, those who want to actually obey the law and to be free from corruption. Basically, the law is bondage to a criminal. Yeah, there is some restriction, <laughs> right? That's that's what the law says, right? And if in as much as we obey, you know, no stealing, no killing, you know, all this that is what will ensure real freedom but the devil comes around and and he's like that guy who says you know what real freedom is you can go and steal you can kill and Do whatever you want Which that makes no sense uh, yeah. <laughs> what happened then after he deceived the angel so revelation uh, chapter 12 verses 7 through 9 highlights the climax of of all of this and it basically says there that there was war in heaven and that there was this this battle between god and between satan mm-hmm. between the angels who were loyal to god and between the angels that have now decided to to follow satan and um it's interesting because i think most of us will probably have this idea that this war was maybe physical and there was like there were swords and bombs or you know who knows what and fighting and whatever but when you look at the word for war it's the greek word polemos which is where we get the word polemics which is the science or the art of argumentation and it literally means dispute and strife and quarrel so there was this open clash of ideas mm-hmm. that was put out into the open it's basically this power play if you if you will now if we want to address the question why is it that satan was permitted to rebel why is it that god did not you know kill him off right um there's a very good way to illustrate this if um you and i both went to court together and um you know i was making certain accusations against you and i felt like boy i got my case when we go and we stand before the judge it's over i'm gonna have my way mm-hmm. and then uh, i'm standing there in the courtroom and the next thing you know the bailiff comes in and says all rise and the next thing you know it's the honorable wenley walking up <laughs> to the podium and you're the judge what do i know about my case <laughs> I'm going to rule in my favor. Yeah, and I'm like, done. Yeah. <laughs> so if God did that and he just um destroyed the devil right there, it wouldn't have served any good. It, first it would have seemed to have been unfair and then secondly it would have just left more questions and more doubts. And so the angels would have been wondering, was Lucifer right? Maybe he was about everything that he was saying, but mm-hmm. I'm not going to question it. I'm just going to shut up because I might I might they, have his fate. Yeah, they do, they do would not want to be next in line, right? In that case. So in other words there would be uh there love in heaven would be jeopardized. Yeah. People uh, angels can, would serve God out of fear instead yeah. of love. Can we still blame God for Satan's downfall because he created Satan? He could have created Satan in a way that Satan did not have the power to sin, we can say. Right. So in other words was would could God have made him without the ability to sin? Yeah. The answer is no because if sin automatically entails a choice so um god being love love demands freedom of choice and so when god offers every sentient being the freedom to choose it also creates the risk that the choice is not going to be a good one and so it's like the illustration we used last week if somebody holds a gun up to your head and says give me your wallet if you really care about your life He, he will have the wallet. <laughs> <laughs> But if somebody holds that same person holds a gun up to you and says, "Give me your love." 
it, you cannot force yeah. or coerce love. So love is something that must be freely given, and it's only awakened by love. So for God to be love and to offer this freedom, it automatically is going to come with a risk. And so he can't make Satan unable to sin. Essentially, it would make him a robot, and there's nothing to that. Yeah, so... Okay, let's say, okay, God is not to blame for Satan's sin, per se. You know, Satan did it on his own. But can God actually restrict Satan? Like, as you see this developing, hey, this is going to be bad. Can you actually do something about it before it gets worse and worse and worse until we get into the, the mess that we get in? Right, so, like, why didn't he just destroy him? Yeah. Because that's so easy. Yeah. It's, it's, it's God, right? Stop it, stop it. Right. Do something. So... First of all, there will be a day of retribution. Um, Ezekiel 28 does make it clear that he will be destroyed at some point. Mm -hmm. So he's not off the hook. But this also, a second point, takes for granted the character of God. And people just assume, you know, for an almighty, all-loving creator, destroying something that you've made and put a lot of thought into is so easy to do. It's like you built a sculpture that mm -hmm. spent, it took you all this time and you put all this effort and hard work into it. And then you just destroy it. Mm -hmm. That's not easy. So that's another thing to consider. But if we illustrate this, it's like um, if there were like a political scandal and I got on TV and I was like, ah, oh, I have all this evidence against Donald Trump, man. This guy's gone tomorrow. Mm -hmm. oh, I, I have all the, you know, here it is. And then the next day, there's a news headline that says, man, that had incriminating evidence against Donald Trump was found dead in his hotel room. Most people would think that what I had to say was probably right. Yeah. <laughs> so again, it just makes it worse I if see. we so just blot them out. Basically, by allowing the mystery to continue, it is actually a safeguard. Exactly. Yeah. And how does God deal with Satan then, right? In, in this context. Right. And this is where we'll lead into next week, huh? In Deuteronomy chapter 19, there's a certain principle there. Because you got to remember, in heaven, there are now two sides. God and the loyal angels, Satan and the disloyal. Mm -hmm. And so... It cannot be that one stands in judgment against the, the other. It's a stalemate. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 19, verses 16 and 17, there's this principle that says when one witness rises up against another man to testify, neither of the two can condemn the other. In other words, there must be a third party. Mm -hmm. So it says that they'll stand before the priests and the judges and they will make a sentence. Yeah, so there has to be a jury or a judge to make sense of, of, of that case. And that's where... The creation of mankind comes into play. Yeah, so that will be next week. We'll look into that. Uh, one thing, one way I can think to make this fresh is basically there's this principle that we have the freedom to choose. Yes. Right? In the book of Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15 and verse 19, mm. uh, we see that Moses placed before the people the blessing and the cursing. He put before them uh, good and evil. And he said, hey, I want you to choose life. He didn't mm. force them. He said, right. you can choose life. Any other principles, any way that we can make this fresh? Right away, um, yeah, bad choices have consequences, so be careful about what you choose, you know? Mm -hmm. um, Galatians uh, tells us, um, verse 7 of the 6th chapter, mm -hmm. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. So we should not take doing the wrong thing lightly. Yeah, so there's consequences, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I think another aspect that even though there's consequences I think it's, it's great and to be thankful to understand that God doesn't destroy us on the first mistake that we make Amen. Right? It's not, that's not his character it doesn't like punish us hey you did something you know uh, evil hey I'm going to get rid of you right? right yeah even now he's still bearing with Satan and all of his stuff so praise God that 
we're not handled that way too. Yeah, that's that's amazing. So any other words in closing? Any other? Yeah, in closing, you know, God permitted this rebellion to take place, mm. but here's the thing: He does promise that it will come to an end one day, and there will be a new heaven and a new earth. In other words, there will be a new beginning, mm-hmm. and God. He was willing to allow this rebellion to take place, but he knew from the beginning that he has all the power available to undo all the results of this rebellion. So there may have been problems all along the way, but he is promising to restore and fix them. And so for all of us that are out there, if you're having trouble in your life, recognize that even though it's tough, God can restore and make things new. Yeah, there's two verses that come to mind. One is Revelation 21, verse 5. Where God say, "Behold, I will make all things new," and another one for you know for, for personal application is in our life. God promised that He will restore the years that has been wasted from Amen. Joel chapter two verse twenty five. And may He do that for all of us. Yes. And from the Word Made Fresh podcast, we are your humble servants. I'm Matthew Tracy, and I'm Wendy Sentil. Thanks for joining us. And guys, we want to hear from you, so please leave us your comments. Subscribe if you haven't already. Share the video if you know that there's somebody that can. Uh, use a blessing and until next time stay fresh alrighty